All right, all right, all right. Day 232. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the book of Zechariah still. It is Zechariah chapter 9 today. And remember, uh, we are uh, kind of moving towards the end of the book. And my man gives us a breather, right? He's been flooding us, inundated us uh, in the deep uh, end of the visions and all that kind of stuff. What's going to come? What has come? What is happening? But here we still learn more of what God is up to. And so in the first eight verses of chapter nine, we have this extended poetic and prophetic oracle against the enemies of Yahweh and the enemies of Israel. Now, those who are enemies of God's people are enemies of God. That's how closely God identifies with his people. So we have names in, in regions like Tyre and Sidon and in Ashkelon and Damascus, names we have seen throughout the prophets and, and section parallels with the other oracles against the nations in the prophets as well. But um, the thing I think we have to remember once again is that Israel's enemies will be destroyed. God takes vengeance on those who take advantage of his people, right? We think about uh, the believers who have been persecuted throughout the world, right? From the ancient, from antiquity until now, right? Like, and the Lord is going to make that right, fam. We have, we can have confidence. God has promised it in his word. He's going to make that right. He's going to avenge their blood. The text shifts in verse nine. And we have the king, right? This, this prediction of the messianic king coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. I love it. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of or daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Listen, humble and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. This is what has been known as the triumphal entry. This is a prophecy of the triumphal entry. And we see it in the end of the gospels, places like Matthew uh, chapter 21 and John chapter 12 and the king listen the messi- the messianic king that god wants to establish uh and reign over his people is described as humble right he's described described as humble right in an ancient world listen kings uh w- w- were seen as virtuous but one of the virtues that you don't see present in the ancient near eastern literature uh for an ancient near eastern king is humility right he's hum- he's humble right he's righteous and he proclaims peace right that there's going to be peace uh no more enemies coming against god's people and the crazy thing is though and you have to understand right if you're israel in this time is that god mentions that his dominion will not just be in jerusalem like david <laughs> but his dominion it says verse 10 his dominion will extend from sea to sea another way of saying the whole world from the euphrates river to the ends of the earth and so god gives this king who's not just going to have a rule in jerusalem but a worldwide rule over the entire earth right and afterwards he'll talk about the releasing of israel as prisoners this is ransom and redemption language right jesus will pick this up in places like mark 10 45 and by the end of the chapter we see that even more of the language of being a divine warrior, right? That is present throughout the Old Testament, um, how God will be the one who fights for his people and destroys this enemy. And the irony is it is he doesn't do it, right? As we know from reading uh, later parts of scripture, he doesn't do it through military might, but through a sacrificial death and resurrection, right? And God shows, right? Like he shows that the ultimate enemy, ultimately, right? Is not just, um, those who oppose us but it's uh the enemy of our souls right satan himself and sin right that has entered the world and god crushed that at the cross and in the resurrection zechariah 10 
for the idols speak falsehood and the diviners see illusions. They relate empty dreams and offer empty comfort. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They suffer affliction because there is no shepherd. One of the dominant motifs uh, that the New Testament will use to speak of Christ is the theme and motif of a shepherd, right? And so we know in ancient Israel, uh, one of the ways they spoke of their kings was as shepherds, right? They were shepherd kings. And um, one of the reasons that Israel obviously suffered so profusely was, was because of the fact that they were constantly surrounded by poor shepherds, right? And whether we like it or not, I think what the text is trying to show us is that we need guidance right and god is going to set the table here and say hey without without it we wander like sheep right we just do we need guidance and protection and so we need a good shepherd right in which he will get into in a bit and it's interesting too because um at the end of the day we need a good shepherd and this is why um people in uh, ministry roles like pastors and leaders are called under shepherds first peter will say uh i believe it's first or second peter um they will call them under shepherds why because they are shepherding the flock they are they are caring for guiding and leading and protecting the flock um under the the chief shepherd right in line with the chief shepherd who does it uh ultimately and who they do it uh for and through and he says this um in the rest of the chapter he says um I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will deliver the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them and they will be as though I had never rejected them for I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. I think one of the things he, he wants to connect is the shepherd theme here, but also the restoration and how the restoration involves placing a good shepherd over them. And I think what he wants to show here is the reason he does it, not just that he's going to do it, but the reason he does it, right? He says, because I have compassion listen god is much more holy than we think right i think we tend to underestimate not nah, real tea like how holy god is right he is a consuming fire the bible will say deuteronomy 4 hebrews 13 but he is also listen god is more holy than we think but he is also more compassionate than we could ever imagine right and that's the beauty man of serving the god of the universe is that he is more compassion compassionate than our minds could fathom right it's the compassion of god here that usually uh and throughout the bible that usually is the motive behind his blessing to us and then 11 this theme of shepherding shepherding continues uh basically what the lord will show us here is that the shepherds in israel are corrupt right we talked about this some god appoints the prophet zechariah as a figurative paradigm shepherd in this day in the post-exilic community and the people and the unjust evil shepherds listen reject him and thus reject the lord <laughs> and by the end we see god giving the people over all right say, say less you want to reject my shepherd go ahead i'll give you guys over to yourselves kind of like what happened in first samuel when i was like yo we want a king like the nations god was like bet i'll give you one like the nations for sure and they gave him saul um and uh yeah and appointing uh so he gives them over to themselves appoints bad shepherds since that's what the people want and they and he ends up devouring the flock um, and what went on here in the post-exilic community, listen, points remarkably, right? And, and foreshadows remarkably what happens in the days of the Messiah, in the days of Christ, when the Lord Jesus, uh, the true good shepherd, is rejected not just by Israel, but the religious leaders as well uh, of Israel, right? And um, yeah, again, God is, it, it, and God sees that as not just rejecting a man, but rejecting him, the God man, right? Um, 12 comes. And we'll finish off speaking of the way in which uh, the Lord will give salvation to Judah and how Judah and Jerusalem will be the instrument in God's hand to judge the nations. Right. And the phrase he going to he's going to use throughout the chapter is on that day, on that day, on that day. Right. Um, and 
remember uh, when, when the prophets use that phrase on that day, they're referring to this concept as the day of the Lord, right? The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, major theme in the prophets. And it means a variety of things, variety of things in the prophets. But here specifically, it, it talks about uh, uh, the judgment that is going to come. Remember salvation. When we think about the Bible, salvation is not just people being saved. It is also somebody being judged, right? And so this is why the cross like brings the two together in such a perfect way. Um, and he says on that day, verse eight, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that on that day, the one who is weakest among them will be like David on that day. And the house of David will be like God, <laughs> like the angel of the Lord before them. We see this major reversal here. And this is what happens. Listen, we see the weakest in Jerusalem will become as mighty as David, right? David, 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 paradigm king in Israel and will receive a type of glory like him. Listen, while the line of David will receive a God like glory in the new testament picks up these ideas frame it's so connected i love that's why i love the bible it's just so intertwined and connected and once you learn how it works you see all kind of cool stuff but the new text new testament picks up these ideas to mention the way in which the saints listen will rule and reign with jesus forever that's why he says the people will have a glory like david because they'll reign like david <laughs> and like the son of the ultimate son of david jesus and will reign with jesus forever listen the only those who suffer him will reign with him uh, romans chapter 8 and there's this royal kingly function that the people of God will have and play for the rest of human history. This is this is what Adam was supposed to do in the garden. Remember, he's supposed to uh, uh, rule and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Right. Um, and so, yes. And, and Jesus, as the last Adam, um, accomplishes this for humanity. Right. So that we can reign with Christ. And you so, so you see the exalted kingship nature here. But also, listen. This glory that the king has, the king comes glorious and mighty. He shares that glory, right? He shares it. He shares it with us. And oddly enough, God says something so, so interesting at the end of this text, man, that is so, that I know didn't make sense to them. I know it didn't. It only makes sense looking back. He says, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer. Hmm, that's interesting. On the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. Hear this. And they will look at me. Literally, it says at me whom they pierced what then he says this they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn oh my god listen in other words god is saying yo i'm a proud a spirit of blessing and grace and mercy and this will somehow simultaneously have something to do hear this with the one whom they pierced now in the text hear this he says he says that uh they they will look at me whom they pierce. Very interesting. So how could God be pierced if he is not corporeal, right? If, if he doesn't have a body, you see what I'm saying? So in, in other words, like they're saying God is going to be pierced, but God doesn't have a body to be pierced. Unless, as the New Testament reveals, God comes to earth <laughs> in the likeness of humanity to save humanity, where he will have to take on a body in real flesh in order to save the people who are made of a body in a real flesh so that he could pour out his spirit on all flesh, right? It is so good because the crucifixion in John chapter 19, verse 37, I ain't just making this up. John chapter 19, 37 pulls from this text, chief, pulls from this text and tells us that this was about the crucifixion. This is about the crucifixion. It is God's upside down, unlikely and paradoxical way of blessing his people and ensuring that their very own restoration from sin and the powers of darkness will be secured. Listen, this is the story, fam. This is the story that we're wrapped up in. This is the story for which we lay down our lives because we serve a God who laid down his life 
for us. Let's pray. God, we ask that this story would captivate our hearts today. God, would you breathe a new breath of life by the power of your Holy Spirit in us today so that we can live faithfully and truthfully before you as fiercely and as passionately as we possibly can. God, give us the strength. We can't do it on our own. We need you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.